And I think if we were maybe to, to describe the condition or the situation that a lot of people are in, and, and I speak to people in the room, is that we are in a, in a, in a state of existential crisis. Uh, have you heard the, the term existential crisis? It's a crisis of our existence uh, is, is basically what it boils down to. But an existential crisis is what, is what comes upon us when we just don't know if anything really adds up, if anything really makes sense, if anything really matters. What, what, what can I do with my life that matters, right? And so we are living in a world that is, that is creating, or I should say, let's, let's step back. We are living in a world of people in existential crisis. Why? Why are there so many people living with questions they can't answer about the, the, the meaning of life, about significance, about value? Why is that happening? And it seems to me that that is because we live in a society that is actually creating existential crises. We are living in a culture that, that does not have answers to any of the big questions of our life. And because it does not have answers to the big questions of our life, it promotes a surface and superficial lifestyle. It tries to keep us from thinking about our existence through distraction. We shared last week this quote from Mark Sayers from his book, Reappearing Church, which many of you are familiar with because I've shared it several times. But I believe it is an apt assessment of our age. He says that we are drowning in freedoms but thirsting for meaning. Why? Why can we not find meaning as we live in a world full of freedoms, full of access? Why is everything surface? Why do we have so many questions that we can't answer? I mean, is this it? You know, we, we play, we play, we play, we, we buy the new thing, we do the next uh, great experience, we jump on board with the, the latest fad, we go to the newest concert, but inevitably we come to the end of it and it fades and we're left with, is this it? I think even, even more than that, we're, we, we grapple with what's real. I mean, everything on Facebook, everything in social media is so polished and presented to us so uh, uh, superficially that we just don't even feel like anything is real. And, and what matters? What, what makes a good life? These questions have led us to existential crisis, have led us to a deep discontent with our lives. Do you feel any of that? Do you feel any of that? And if, and, and if you don't immediately resonate with that, I, I want to assure you, you need to pay attention because the people around you that you know certainly do. They certainly feel this. And so as you want to reach people in existential crisis, we need to understand this existential crisis. We need to be empathetic. Today, we're going to see how absolutely up-to-date and relevant Jesus is because he actually answers our existential crisis when he preached the parable of the sower in the first century. You see, Jesus' parable asks this, this question. Where is the life that is not the crowd? 
Jesus' parable asks the question, where is the life of substance? Where is the life of flourishing? In essence, Jesus is asking us the question that our existential crisis is asking, where is the good soil and how do we plant ourselves there? This is the question that our age needs answered. It is also a question that the church needs to answer because the question in front of this parable is also to those who have been in the church, to those who have been listeners of Jesus, are you in the good soil? There are uh, several warnings in this passage to those people who perhaps have been attenders of church but have not really listened and really received the gospel. As a pastor, there is a number of people that I know come to church but live just outside of salvation. They live so close, but they are not in the good soil. And so for for some of us, this text is a call to examination. And as we go through this this passage, we're going to see three tests for the person in church about whether or not they are really in the good soil. So whether you are in an existential crisis or whether you are a, a churchgoer, the question that is so essential for us is, are we in the good soil and how do we get to the good soil? Jesus' answer is profoundly simple. Listen. Really listen to him. That's that's Jesus' answer to getting into the good soil. I'm not going to be giving you a list of of things you have to do. I'm not going to be giving you a a list of accomplishments or a, a bunch of boxes to check. All you have to do to be in the good soil is have your ears open to the gospel. And really listen to it. Now when we talk about really listening, we need to recognize that we are not great at listening well. Let me share a picture of of our average life. This is is just a typical bar and grill. Uh, This is where we have most of our our meals out. And, And look, how many TV screens with different content is on that wall? How can you listen to your wife in that room? How can you hear those beautiful honeydews that she wants to share with you when you can have your eye on 10 games at the same time? Well, that's just a picture of our life. There is always a screen. There is always a distraction. And that is an epidemic for listening. So we need to hear what it means to listen well. What does really listening involve? We're going to see three answers to that question as we go through Jesus' parable. The first answer to what does listening, really listening involve is this. Really listening involves welcoming the gospel in our hearts. Welcoming the gospel in our hearts. So we're going to look at at the parable Verses 13 through 20, here for several minutes as we, as we uh, digest this understanding. So, we remember as we looked at last week, the, the, the four soils um, kind of map onto the different responses that Jesus has had in preaching the gospel. 
right? Jesus is always going around, and crowds are surrounding him, but, but those crowds kind of disappear. They come, and then they disappear. So we, we can't really say that the crowds are with him. They, they just kind of show up, uh, they get something from Jesus, and they go on. They, they kind of maybe look like the, the hard soil. They just, they just hear for a while, and then they disappear. And we've seen other responses, like the, the religious leaders who are co- constantly listening to him, but interpreting what he is doing as, as, as wrong and, and, and something to be opposed. And so they also look a lot like the hard soil. But we have uh, uh, other, other people who are listening uh, and they're, they're more like the, the thorny soil. They, they look like they're following Jesus, but then for some reason they fall away. And, and we've already kind of talked about Judas as being a profile of that. So Jesus' soils are, are different uh, kinds of responses Jesus is having in his own day. But the soils that Jesus is speaking to are soils that exist today. There's the, there's the hard path. Uh, that, that, that the, the birds come and snatch away the, the hearing. There's the, the path of the, the rocks, or the rocks are underneath the surface, and so when the, 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 the seed tries to take root, there's nowhere for the roots to go, and, and the sun scorches them. There's the thorny soil, so that the, 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 the seed looks like it's growing, looks like it's coming up, but then all of a sudden around it comes all these thorns, and those thorns choke out the plant before it can bear fruit. And then finally, there's that good soil where we see the fruit come up, where we see the plants come up and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And as I, as I look at this parable and as I've been thinking about it, it is such an apt metaphor for our own age. It is such an apt metaphor for the world that we are living in. I mean, uh, think about this the path. The path is that, that soil where uh, it is so hard that the seed can't do anything. It is just laying there on the surface, waiting for birds to make it into food. It is, it is snatched away before it can do anything. Man, I, 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 I see so much of the word today falling on hard soil. I see the, the word never going past just the, the airwaves around some people, because, because of what? what? What are some of the reasons that the soil has become so hard? We live with a constant, ready distraction in our pocket. The moment any thought becomes disturbing, any thought becomes complex, any thought becomes threatening, what happened on ESPN? What's the latest news scroll on my favorite station. We have been uh, buried in distractions. Anytime the word comes, there is always something ready to scroll, something ready to shop for, something ready to binge. Those are the birds, folks. Those are the birds. And when we are, are living captive to scrolling and binging and shopping, we are putting ourselves right in the bird's path. And there is no surprise why all of these distractions have amounted to so many of, 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 of people who have heard the word making no progress in it at all. Some of us, though, uh, when, when we're a hard path, not because of distractions, but we're a hard path because we have grown up in a, a post-Christian culture. 
And being in a post-Christian culture, the, the, the sentiments of the people around us is, you can't really believe the good news. You can't really believe this Bible stuff. We have what, what is called uh, a plausibility structure. Every single one of us has plausibility structures. That's, that is a, a, a kind of a way that we are able to look at the world, and it kind of defines what we find believable and unbelievable, what is plausible and what's implausible. And as we live in a post-Christian culture, the plausibility structures have moved from seeing the good news as something plausible to seeing it as something that is not, impl- not plausible. And therefore, because it's not plausible, it's not even listened to. So, so, for example, uh, I can't believe in the uh, Bible because I want to be my own person. I don't want to put on a, a moral straitjacket. might be a, a plausibility structure that you're experiencing. I, I can't believe because I want to be my own person. That's a, that's a popular uh, reason that people just don't want to listen to the gospel. Uh, they, they see it as, a, as an act of conformity. But I... I I want to speak to these plausibility uh, structures. I can't deal with all of them, but, but to the one who thinks that, that listening to the word or receiving the word will take away your freedom or take away your, your independence, I just want to ask you one question. What if you've been trained to stay in the crowd? What if what you think is your individuality is just a culture conforming you to the crowd. I mean, take a look. We're all wearing the same clothes. We're all playing with the same toys. We all like to drive the same cars, by and large. And maybe we all have the same thoughts, because the exact same Forces that are making us conform to the crowd are telling us what thoughts we can have and what thoughts we can't have. And so if you are living in this plausibility structure that the the culture does not allow the gospel to be thought of seriously, maybe you're not as independent as you think you are. Maybe the real path to freedom and free thought is to allow yourself to listen to listen to the the good news because this is the offer of the gospel. It is a place to flourish. It is a place to find meaning. It is a place to find answers to those questions that haunt you in your existential crises. There's a a, a singer-songwriter named Emily Autumn who's a, a millennial and I think she has tapped into some of the, the feelings of, of our age, of, the, of this post-Christian culture, what it feels like to live in an existential crisis. She shares in one of her songs, you, he said, are a terribly real thing in a terribly false world. And that, I believe, is why you are in so much pain. If you are living outside the gospel because you don't think it is plausible. Does any of Emily Autumn's words resonate with you? Perhaps the reason you have these questions and this sense of crisis and dread is because the culture is keeping you at the surface when there is depth and richness 
and meaning. Perhaps you are a terribly real person in a terribly false world, and those realities are calling you, listen, listen. Maybe the world doesn't want you to hear because if you did, you would stop needing them. Now let's look at the rocky soil. The rocky soil is the the idea that there is uh, soil that looks good on the surface, but underneath there's a whole bunch of rocks and pebbles that don't allow the the roots to go down. I I am familiar with this because when we moved into uh, our first house, it was a brand new build. They put out sod all on, on the front yard. And oh, you had this beautiful green grass all over the yard. And then after the first hot spell in the summer, one spot of the grass just turned brown. And it never turned green again. And the reason is that's where they dumped all of the extra concrete, <laughs> just a few inches beneath the soil. And so we could not get anything to grow in that space unless we ripped up all of that rocky soil. So that is what the rocks do. All of this beautiful vegetation can't get its roots down. And so when the sun comes, all of a sudden it bakes and it burns and it really just turns to chafe, right? And so this is describing the shallow Christian. Really, that's what it's describing. We we have moved from the the person who's just rejected the gospel to a person who has has said, yeah, I kind of like that idea. They even have some joy about it. They're they're a happy person initially, and and, and they they like the the, the idea of the gospel. But they are what we call a, a shallow Christian because they don't have any any real depth, any real root. They don't show any growth. And the shallow Christian, uh, another name for the shallow Christian might be the nominal Christian. If you ask them, uh, what is your faith? They would say, well, I am a Christian. But if you would ask them, well, where do you go to church? They would say, well, I I haven't been to church in years. That's a symptom of a shallow Christian. I, I take the name, but I don't have any of the identity, any of the life that comes with that truth. And so uh, the, the shallow Christian was described to me in, in just very powerful, relatable terms by one of the commentators I read this week called, uh, his name is uh, Mark Strauss. Uh, he describes the, the rocky soil Christian by saying, the message sounds good and is welcomed with joy, but it never penetrates beyond a superficial level of faith. It is based on emotionalism or is inherited from family, but has no roots of its own. For these, church is a nice social club to meet and develop friendships. The essence of Christianity is being a good person and helping others, or supporting patriotic American values, or a conservative social agenda. The idea of radical commitment to the kingdom and its mission remains an alien concept. Now, I listen to that, and I say, ouch. There's a lot of cultural, nominal, shallow Christianity that I think infects all of us. There is a a, a desire for feelings. There is a desire of fitting into the family. There is a desire of being a good person. But when we ask, what is the real root 
sometimes we don't have much to show. The idea of radical commitment is an alien concept to the shallow Christian. And how do we know that they're a shallow Christian? Because Jesus says, eventually that blistering hot sun is going to come. And that blistering hot sun is going to reveal you have no root. Because rather than staying green, you turn dry and you wither. And what is that hot sun? He says, that's persecution. That's persecution. That's being ridiculed for your faith. That's losing out on opportunities because of your faith. That's becoming unpopular because of Jesus. And so what happens with the shallow Christian is they have the emotional high of being in church, but they don't want to pay any of the cost of of social ostracism when they're in the world, right? And so when the pressures of persecution and the ridicule gets louder and louder, they eventually get scorched, they wither, and they disappear. We are in an age that is going to expose the shallow Christian because the sun is coming and it's getting hotter by the day. A lot of the decrease in the church population is because the scorching sun has driven some of these away. But it hasn't driven all of us away. There is still more heat to come. And so my question, are you ready? Are you ready for the heat? Are you ready for that hot, blistering sun? Have you developed a faith today that will not wither when the persecution gets really focused and really sustained. It's going to get a lot worse than just Facebook jokes. Some of us might lose the jobs we want. That's going to tell us who, where we really are. Think of the story that Jesus told in the Sermon on the Mount about the people who build their, their house on the rock and those who build their house on the sand. For a while, we look like we're both doing fine, and in some ways, the shortcuts look smart. But then what is going to come that is going to prove that the house on the sand was a foolish choice? There will be a great storm that will wash everything away. And I don't have to be a prophet to tell you the signs are clear. Hot sun and large storms are coming. And the shallow Christian will be washed away or withered away. Then there's the third soil, the thorny soil. This one is is the one that probably troubles me the most. This, This is seed that grows. It looks healthy. It goes through the scorching sun. It comes up and it it looks very promising. It looks just like the, 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 the seed that will bear fruit. But then we find around it also growing are the thorns and the thistles and the weeds. And those come and begin to choke. They choke out that word so that it never bears fruit. So after a while, they fall away. They don't fall away because of persecution. They fall away because the desires in their own flesh 
have not actually been put to death. Listen to verse 19. Are these not the the hazards of so many of us? They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. What are these? The the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. They are those those good life things, those comfortable things, those uh, other passions. And and none of those necessarily are, are bad, but they can overtake. They can become idolatrous in our lives. Are, are, we, are we seeing evidence of people having the cares of the world choke out their witness? Are we seeing people choosing to grow in riches rather than to grow in commitment? Desires for other things. There's all sorts of things that, that we want and that we covet. And are we putting our heart more towards those things than Jesus? Because those things will prove to choke the word. This is just another example of what Jesus tells us in, in Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's not that we can't have money, but we cannot serve God and money. We cannot have two masters. As you examine your heart, what is trying to master you? Because eventually, if you try and live with two masters, the parable of the soil says the word will be choked out and you will be the same as all the other soils that do not produce fruit. You see, Jesus wants us to know that there are enemies of your soul. There are real enemies of your soul. There's Satan, there is the world, and there is the flesh. All of these enemies have the power to master you. All of these have the power to keep you from the good soil. That is a danger. Every single one of these can pull you away from the good soil. And the reason that is a danger is because in this parable, only one of these soils is a real Christian. Only one of these soils is a saved Christian. And that is the one in the good soil. So what I am saying is if we do not have vigilance, if we do not listen well, then Satan and the world and the flesh will have the last word over you, not the gospel. You could be lost if we do not pay attention. So it's a call to to pursue the good soil, to persevere, to survive the hard ground, the rocky ground, and the thorn ground. We must plant our word deep in our heart. We must plant the word of God deep in our heart. This is to be good soil. Good soil is a a person who is hearing the word of God actively. If we go through the Greek of this this parable, the the first three hearers are in a tense that just means an occasional or once 
and only once listening to the word. But the one who is the good soil has an active and a present tense, which means it is constantly listening. It is continually listening. It is more uh, richly listening uh, over and over again. It is not just, yeah, I heard that message. It's I want to hear it again. I want more. I want to understand it. That is the, the kind of hearing. It is a completely different kind of hearing. I love how uh, the, the, the scholar David Garland describes the hearer in the good soil. He says, the good hearer welcomes the word immediately so that it cannot be snatched away by Satan. The good hearer welcomes it deeply so that it is not withered by persecution. The good hearer welcomes it exclusively so that other concerns do not strangle it. You see, the good hearer is the opposite of all of the other hearers. When, when Jesus says it is, it is heard actively, it is accepted, he, in, in that word translated accepted is, is actually a, a, the, the meaning of receiving with hospitality, welcoming. And so the idea of, of the, the, the hearer of the word of God is one who makes his heart a home for the word of God. It is someone who welcomes the word, someone who ponders the word. In the New City Catechism, question 42, I want to do this actually responsively. There is a, a question of, of what is the, 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 a good hearing of the word. Question 42 says, how is the word to be read and heard? Let's read the answer together. With diligence, preparation, and prayer so that we may accept it with faith, store it in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. You see, this this whole idea of welcoming the word into our hearts is is a priority here of, of Renew EPC. We have designed our Sunday morning to accomplish this, to make this as possible for you as it can be. That is why we have sermon notes. That is why we have discussion afterwards. We want to take this word simply from a one-time hearing to a pressing in, to a laying into the heart, to an application. So I hope that as as you uh, participate here, you, you avail yourself of all the different things that we seek to do to make this a word that you chew, a word that you hear. Have you made your heart a home for the gospel? Have you made your heart a home for the gospel? Second, we've seen that listening involves welcoming the gospel in our hearts, but also really listening involves working the gospel out in our lives. Working the gospel out in our lives. As we, as we look at this parable again, we, we recognize that it actually boils down not into four different things, but into, into two. It boils down into the group that is described as unfruitful and the group that is described as fruitful. He, Jesus gives three examples of unfruitful seed. We've seen the path, we've seen the rocks, and we've seen the thorns. But those are considered failed seed, failed hearings. There's only one hearing that is considered fruitful. And Jesus actually shows us three fruitful responses, one that responds 30-fold, one that bears fruit 60-fold, and one that bears fruit 100-fold. So what we have is three unfruitful and three fruitful. We have only really two groups. 
We have three examples on this side and three examples on this side, but there are only two groups. There's the unfruitful and there is the fruitful. And what does this teach us? Because Jesus wants us to recognize that it is the good soil, the fruitful soil, that is the saved soil. So what is Jesus teaching us? He is teaching us that fruitfulness is the chief evidence of the word in our heart. Fruitfulness is the chief evidence of the word in our heart. You see, everybody in the, in the first, second, and third soils could say, yeah, I heard the gospel. Some in the second and the third soils could even say, I've received the gospel. I, 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 I know the gospel and I love the gospel. But it's only the, the, the hearers in the fourth soil that can say, you can see my faith because it's changed my life. And that's how you know whether you've heard it. When we say our mission statement, we help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus. Let me say it a different way. If you are living in the good news of Jesus, you will live out the good news of Jesus. And so the fruit of our lives in the forms of obedience and transformation and deeper commitment are the chief evidence that we have heard the gospel. So what is fruitfulness? Fruitfulness is believing the gospel to the point of living the gospel. Jesus says it in the simplest way in John 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's an if-then statement. If you love him, which is synonymous with believing in him, then you will obey his commandments. If your life does not obey his commandments, stop lying to yourself. Your heart doesn't love him. Now, I don't mean that, that you, you, you commit an individual sin or an individual disobedience that you don't love Jesus. Everybody has that happen from time to time. But the question is, is your heart wanting and pursuing and desiring and increasing in its obedience? Or is obedience pretty much this flat line in your life? Does that make sense? Let me make an illustration. Let's say that somebody here wanted to become a mechanic. And they read the books on mechanics. And they went to mechanics school. And they, they learned all of the classes. And they even took the tests for mechanics so that they had a certifiable skill to be a mechanic. But they never did the job of a mechanic. Is that person a mechanic? No. No, that person is an educated not mechanic. <laughs> that, 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 that person, uh, I, I am not a mechanical engineer. I have all the education, all the training of a mechanical engineer, but I am not doing mechanical engineering. So I do not call myself a mechanical engineer. How many people, though, are calling themselves Christians, but not actually doing what Christians are supposed to do? That's the problem 
that this parable is addressing. If we are living in the gospel, we will live it out. Let me, let me, let me talk about that a little bit more from a little bit different angle. Do we believe the gospel enough to share it? Do we believe the gospel enough to share it? You see, Jesus' words go into this a second parable about the lamp. He says the lamp is, is not to be hidden. It is to be put out and displayed. The lamp is the good news of Jesus. And what the lamp is supposed to do is to be revealed to the world, to be made public. By whom? Who is the, the light of the lamp supposed to be put out and displayed by? It is by us. We are the ones that put out the lamp. We are the, the seed who become fruitful. And what does it mean to become fruitful in this parable? It means to bear more plants. Right? So in, 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 a, in a sense, fruitful disciples can also be looked at as disciples who are about making more disciples. Is making more disciples, is sharing the good news a fruit in your life? The reason for this is, is because good news, when it's really good news to us, we share it. All right? When I had all three of my babies... I told everybody, meet my baby, see my baby, celebrate my baby, look at my baby. I'm a dad. This, this news burst out of me because it was good news that was in my heart, saturating it. There isn't a person that doesn't know I have kids and I love my kids most of the time. <laughs> but what about Jesus? See, if we believe Jesus is the salvation of our souls, if we believe Jesus is the forgiver of our sins, if we believe Jesus is eternal life, if we believe Jesus is great joy that is unending, then that seed should just be blowing through our hands to everybody. It's an evidence that we really believe it is good news for all people when we share the good news with all people. Right? Let us not hide the lamp. The gospel soil is the flourishing life. Listen, you, you really have a choice in this parable. Life can be a fight against the birds and the rocks and the thorns. Or it can be about bearing much fruit. Really, that's the choice. You can skim along. You can feel the heat of the sun. You can hide. You can retreat. You can be choked out, or you can bear magnificent fruit. Which do you want? That takes us to our last point. Really listening involves wanting to understand the gospel more. This is maybe the most important test of whether you are in one soil or another. How rich is the word of God? How rich is the gospel? How amazing is the gospel? Let me tell you objectively, Peter tells us that the angels in heaven who have a greater capacity of knowing and a greater capacity of feeling than we have, have sat in front 
of the gospel for thousands of years, marveling at the depths of the love of God, marveling at the grace of God, marveling at the great treasure of his riches given to sinners who repent. Angels, we are told, long to look into the gospel. That means that when they are done with their work, they don't go for the Roku. They go for the gospel. Because it has so much delight left in it, even for their magnificently greater brains. Right? I mean, the gospel is the love story that unfolds again and again, day after day after day. It should enchant us. Can you believe after your last week of sin that Jesus still loves you? Can you believe after after, uh, all of the confusion and mistakes you have made that God still says, come to me. Let me give you my grace. Can you believe that God looks down at heaven and says, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. How can these thoughts ever fatigue you? How can these truths ever become old? I promise you, they will never become old. The reason that we have an eternity to spend with Jesus is because that is how long it will take to truly appreciate, to truly saturate the love of God into us. And yet most of us struggle to get excited. I I confess, sometimes the, the Bible is dull. So do you want more? When I say dull, it's it's dull to my eyes. My eyes have become dull. Do you uh want more? Do you not like the soil that you are in? Do you want to move from 30 to 60 to a hundredfold? Listen. This is is so helpful. The soils in this parable are descriptive. They're not determinative. Jesus did not say some people are rocky soil and they can't do anything about it. Some people are thorny soil and they can't do anything about it. Some people are just lucky that they're good soil. That is not the teaching of this parable. This parable says that these describe different responses. They are not determinative of what you can do. And that is very clear when we look at verses 23 and 24 of of this verse. Listen to it again. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. Do you see this? With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. God is saying what you put into this, what you put into listening, what you put into understanding, I will give back to you even more. So lean in, listen hard, pay attention, bury it in your hearts, work it out in your lives. And if you do that, you will get more understanding, a more rich faith, a more fruitful faith. He is saying with well, a measure that you use will be the measure that you receive and then some. 
You don't have to be rocky. If you want to be the good soil, ask him. Ask him. Take these words to heart. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone, everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You want to see the scriptures as the angels see the scriptures? Ask him. Ask him. He will give you what you ask for. God's grace is available to those who want more understanding. Really listening is welcoming the gospel in our hearts, working the gospel out in our lives, wanting to understand the gospel more. The key question is this. What are you going to do with the word today? What are you going to do with today's word? How long will you ponder it? How long will you meditate on it? How, how much will you work on putting it into practice in your lives? What are you going to do? Maybe that's the key question to diagnose if you're in the good soil. Because this word that we have just looked at and preached, oh beloved, it is rich. There is one last verse that we cannot ignore in our passage Verse 25, Jesus says, For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's a warning that Jesus finishes this passage with. He basically says we can either increase or we can decrease. But we cannot stay where we are. We can either increase in our knowledge and love of God through his word, or we can decrease. And if we decrease, then we will lose even the hearing that we have. God will not continue pouring out his good word to you if your ears continue to be deaf to it. And so eventually you will hear nothing, and you will grow distant, and you will become lost. If you choose to do nothing, that is the path you are taking a step toward. But those who increase, those who lean in, they will grow in knowing him and enjoying him, and that is the beginning of an eternal life of knowledge and understanding and growth. I ask you, are you really listening. I want to close with a prayer, an ancient prayer from the Middleburg Liturgy, a prayer that I want us to pray together, to take this word just from hearing into our hearts. So if you would read it with me. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly submit ourselves and fall down before your majesty, asking you from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word now sown among us may take such deep root that neither the burning heat of persecution cause it to wither 
nor the thorny cares of this life choke it, but that as seed is sown in good soil, it may bring forth 30, 60, or a hundredfold as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Amen.